You're listening to an audio message from The Well, a gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com. Let me pray. Father God, thank you so much for this season. Uh, Thank you so much for um, what a privilege it is to come and to worship you together and to uh, spend some time in your word and to be reminded of this season where your son came to uh, be born in the flesh, God in the flesh with us, Emmanuel walking among his creation. Uh, What a fantastic picture. Uh, Coming that way so that you could save us from our sin and make us part of the family so we could become your children. Father, I pray today, God, that you would just encourage us in that. I pray, Father, that you would uh, transform um, desires inside of us. Help us to focus on you. Lord, your presence is what we need more than anything else. Your presence is what we need. So we beg you, Lord God, to send the presence of your spirit, speak through your word, and speak through the preaching of your word, transform hearts and lives this morning. We beg you to do that. We know that that's why you came to earth in this season. So God, we ask you to do that. In Jesus' name, everybody said? Amen, amen. amen. So it's Christmas Eve, right? Trees are decorated. Christmas presents are wrapped, hopefully. Under the tree, I know ours are, haven't been opened yet. Lights are up. Um, I actually think that our family kind of started a little bit of something this year. We've got like four houses on our block with some lights on them, so that's, that's pretty awesome. I feel like we're kind of part of some historical things going on, on our block in terms of Christmas lights. <laughs> Even Eric went out and got Christmas lights. Uh, <laughs> uh, Christmas meals are planned. I don't know about you guys, but I got a turkey in the oven at home. Yes! And got a ham planned for tomorrow. Yes! So we're going to eat good for, for the next couple of days and open up presents, probably watch some football. Um, excited for that. It's an exciting time of year, right? Get to see family that you haven't seen maybe in a while. But really, one of the most exciting things about this time of year is the great opportunity that we have to exalt Christ, right? It's to make him known. It's to proclaim Christ in this season. That's what's happening. Even people who do not believe and are far from God, in one way or the other, are being used by God in this season to proclaim his name. That's a crazy, fantastic thing that's taking place in this season, isn't it? There may be some who are like, I won't say Merry Christmas. That's fine, you do your thing. I'll still say Merry Christmas, right? Because it exalts the name of Christ, and that's what we get to do this morning. In the midst of our commercialized culture, where Christmas has become a commercial and a sales pitch, that's the frenzy we live inside. In the midst of all that, man, we get to exalt Christ and rejoice in this single truth that I hope to preach to you over and over and over again this morning. It's this truth. Jesus is the life-giving, life-sustaining presence that we all need. That's the big idea. Jesus is the life-giving, life-sustaining presence that we all need. We get to exalt him this morning in the midst of wrestling with our unmet desires, our unmet wants, struggling with our fleeing feelings, right? Anybody walking here with some feelings like, man, that'll be gone tomorrow. I'm going to feel differently tonight. In the midst of what you feel and what you desire and how you behave and your struggle in the midst of all of that, in the midst of all that, we get to exalt Christ in this season. So we get to do it together. Last week, we kind of started this short two-week Christmas series, and we started off in the first 13 verses of John chapter 1, and we learned last week that Jesus is the divine word and the light of the world who gives us the right to become children of God. Now, we all struggle 
Every one of us in this room struggles with making our wants, think about the things you want, into needs, right? I wanted that, now I need that, now I throw a fit when I don't get it, and then I, the things I actually need, I, des- I decide I don't want anymore, right? Ever, ever deal with a kid, if you got kids? Um, all of us were kids at one point, right? Some of us are just big over, overgrown kids, like the guy in the pulpit. <laughs> so ask my wife and my family, they'll tell you, they'll tell you. We turn our wants into needs, and then we say what we need is actually unwanted waste. We don't need that whatsoever. But we learned last week that Jesus is the divine word, the light of the world who gives us the right to become children of God. The question is, what more could we really want other than Christ? What more could we really need other than Christ? Everything else is a cheap substitute for Christ who gives you life and sustains you. We have a habit of trading Christ for substitutes, cheap substitutes. In this season today, as we look at verses 14 through 18, second half of this passage, we get to be reminded that we are not alone this Christmas season. You might have walked in here feeling lonely. You're not alone. We also get to be reminded that uh, we are not unimportant. We also get to be reminded that we can experience grace and truth. Grace and truth are not just two big categorical words that we talk about theologically that lack the thrust of experience. You can actually experience grace and truth in your life. So John chapter one, verses 14 through 18, let's read it together. And the word became flesh, dwelt among us. We have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, this was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. The only God who was at the Father's side, he has made him known. And think about all the ways that we seek and search and thirst and crave and pursue and hunger for a better life than the life you have right now. Think about that. This is something that is dwelling within all of us since the Garden of Eden. We all wanted to get back to that perfect place of the garden. For us, it's, it's heaven, right? Heaven is the new Garden of Eden. Ever since mankind fell into sin, we've all, always, ever wanted a better life than the one that we have right now. Think about your struggle with loneliness, all the ways that you pursue the better life of not feeling alone. Think about your struggle with feeling unimportant, all the ways that you strive to become more important in other people's eyes. Think about your struggle with your checklist, do's and don'ts, all the ways you work to justify yourself, justify your sin or hide your sin, right? I'm not as bad as that guy. I'm not as bad as I was a year ago. Think about your struggle with truth, how hard it is to walk in the light and the freedom of truth instead of living in deception and darkness and bondage to your sin. And the good news from this passage is you think about all those categories, the good news is that (coughs) you are not alone. You are not unimportant and you can't experience the fullness 
of God's grace and truth. Why? Because Jesus is the life-giving, life-sustaining presence that we all need. And according to John, Jesus came into this world as God in the flesh. He existed before all of creation. He came to live among those he created as the fullness of the presence of God in grace and truth. So number one, we're not alone, right? Number one, we are not alone. <laughs> Think about loneliness. <clears throat> loneliness is a powerful emotion. Agreed? Powerful emotion. Springs up from deep inside. The roots of loneliness, that feeling, the roots of that loneliness are what we call wants and desires. They feed that emotion, right? And there's many different desires that, that are under the surface of that feeling. When you feel lonely, you and I have got to ask, why do I feel lonely? Rather than just knee-jerk reacting and running headlong after whatever we want that we think will make us not feel lonely anymore, we need to stop and ask, why am I feeling lonely? What is it that I wanted? We desire comfort, affirmation, security. Is it acceptance for you? The list could go on and on. When those desires are not met by a sustainable and life-giving presence, we feel alone. And when we feel alone, we wind up chasing things that we believe will satisfy those desires. We believe the prospect of a new friendship or romantic relationship will satisfy our loneliness. We believe that so much that we chase it. We believe that the thrill of pursuing a new job will satisfy our loneliness, so we chase it. We believe that the high of drowning our feelings in a substance or an obscene habit or just check out late at night watching YouTube videos. Just medicate that feeling so you don't feel it anymore. This is what we do. This is part of what it means to be a broken human. I've only listed a few things. The list could go on and on in how we try to satisfy or medicate or drown our feelings and our desires. As we struggle with these feelings of loneliness and all those desires that feed those feelings, all the desires and feelings that, that feed those behaviors, and we need a fresh drink of water, agreed? This is where what John says about Jesus in these verses becomes that fresh drink of water for us. John says, and, and notice, notice just the pattern here, right? We've read the passage, I've laid out the problem, and where do we turn with our problem? Somebody answer the question. Christ? Agreed. Where do we find Christ? In his word, right? Agreed. This is not just something that I can do for you. This is something you can do for yourself and should do for yourself. This is why we turn to John. It becomes a fresh drink of water for us. Jesus said that he would give us a living water when he spoke with the woman at the well. Right? Jesus is that living water. When John says here that the word became flesh and dwelt among us, we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son, son from the Father, full of grace and truth. No one has ever seen God, but the only God who is at the Father's side has made him known. These are, this is verses 14 and 18. What those two verses teach us is that we are not alone. Jesus became one of us and lived among us. 
His glory, when it, when, it, when it talks about the glory, glory as of the only Son, what, 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 what the author is talking about is the weight of his presence. How many of you know what it's like when grandpa walks in the room? All right? Or, or, or husbands, when your wife is upset with you, she walks into the room. Right? Kids, when your or moms, when, you're, when your kids want your attention because they're hungry, they want to go shopping, they want some food, uh, whatever it is they, when they want their clothes washed, you, you know the weight of that presence when they come into the room, right? The, the, the weight of Christ's presence is his glory. That's the best way I can think of to illustrate Christ coming to this world. It's the weight of his presence. The full weight of God the Father's presence came in the person of Christ, and that presence rocked the world for the last few thousand years, right? Jesus is the visible manifestation of the presence of our heavenly Father. It's been made known to us through Christ, God has. And when Jesus ascended back to heaven after his resurrection, he sent his very own spirit to take up residence inside of us. If you are a believer, if you are a Christian, if, then you have a presence living inside of you that no one else can substitute for. This is why Paul says, walk by the spirit, be filled by the spirit, live by the spirit. How do you do that? Because the spirit lives inside of you. It's not some outward compulsion that just pushes you forward. It's actually an inner motivation that makes us walk and live and talk and breathe. The presence of the Spirit of God that Christ gave us is what helps us to know that we are not alone. All substitutes that you try to substitute the Spirit of God with are fake, imitation, phony, the hope is that you would thirst for the presence of God's very own spirit because the presence of Christ is what we need. When I struggle with feeling alone, man, I need to be reminded that my feelings are fickle, my desires are corrupt, but in Christ my feelings can be quenched and my desires can be bent and transformed. How? By the life-giving, life-sustaining, presence of Christ. Now, number two, we are not unimportant. Feeling important is also a powerful emotion, just like loneliness. Anybody here want to feel important? Who's all graduated high school here? Walked across that stage, received that certificate, felt important, didn't you? It's a good feeling to feel important. It's not bad to want to feel important. What's bad is the way we chase satisfying those feelings of unimportance, right? When those desires, like power, respect, maybe success, and when you feel powerful, you feel important. When you feel successful, you feel important. When you, when you, when you feel respected, you feel important. And when you lack those three, you feel unimportant, and so you wind up chasing things, right? Same things I've been talking about the whole time. Try to get yourself up the vocational ladder. Makes you feel more powerful and successful. Makes you feel important. Try chasing down that new romantic relationship or that new friendship or stay up all night agonizing about that one friendship, right? 
wishing that you could set things right so that you could feel important, either powerful, respected, or successful. That's what we hunger for. Wind up buying things that we do not need or cannot afford because if I have that brand new truck, think people might respect me more, right? I might feel more important. I might look more successful than driving the old beater that I drive. Follow me? We do these things. We do all of these things to make ourselves feel more important. What we need is a fresh perspective. So where do we go? Who can tell me? God's word, right? Verse 15, John gives us a fresh perspective. John the Baptist, he says, says John the Baptist. Well, he says John. I added the Baptist because that's who he's speaking about. John the Baptist bore witness about him and cried out, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. We are not unimportant. Think about this from this perspective of who um, the disciple John is writing about. He's writing about John the Baptist, right? John the Baptist was an important leader in Israel's history. Think about the importance of John the Baptist. He was the forerunner for Jesus. He announced Jesus' entry into our sin-filled world. Be like if President Trump was coming to visit. Be like the guys that came ahead of him to set up the city for his arrival. This is what John the Baptist was like. He's a forerunner for Jesus. Yet as important as good old Johnny B was, as important as he was, he knew that Christ was more important than him. Why? Because Christ existed before him. And yet, that didn't diminish John's importance. John the Baptist was still important in the grand scheme of the kingdom of God. He was used by God to announce the coming of the Savior, the coming of the Messiah. But it didn't diminish his, his importance, yet at the same time, it did promote humility in him. It also magnified Christ's importance through him. Ask yourself, is Christ's importance magnified through you? I mean, that's the value that you and I have, is to magnify the importance of Christ in our world. Think about the many ways that you and I minimize the importance of Christ and magnify our own wants and make those more important. Tracking with me? We are not unimportant. John the Baptist's importance was intricately and intimately tied to Christ being more important than him. When I struggle with feeling unimportant, which can happen often, I need to be reminded that my importance begins and ends in Christ. If I try to find my importance in anything else, any other pursuit, whether it be relationship, job, paycheck, if you guys think I don't struggle with that, man, I was talking to a friend of mine who has less experience than me and makes nearly double what I make. So I struggle with this too. I'm not saying I want to raise. <laughs> don't hear that. Just know that I struggle with the same things y'all struggle with, right? My, my truck's old. Um, I struggle with relationships. I struggle with some of the same things. But if we begin to pursue those things to fulfill those desires, then we make those things greater than Christ. And what happens is we think that our needs are more important and then Christ becomes less important in our lives. Your reading of God's word doesn't have 
a full, powerful effect on you in those times because you're not seeking Christ. You're seeking some worldly fulfillment of that want, that desire that you have. The presence of Christ is what helps me to battle my feelings of unimportance. And I do that by by seeking him because in his presence, I find the life-giving and life-sustaining presence I need, right? Now, number three, number three, we can experience grace and truth. We'll be looking at verses 14, 16 through 17. We can experience grace and truth. (laughs) Now, grace and truth can feel very intangible, agreed? Grace and truth don't feel like something you can just hold in your hand. For a guy like myself, who used to be a drywaller, uh, it was easy to grab a piece of sheetrock, slice that thing up, slap it up on the wall, get some hammers and some nails and start hammering things together. I could see what was being created. It's tangible, right? Uh, Similar to all the food we're all gonna cook for our families over the next day or two. Tangible. You can see the product of your effort. You can hold it in your hand. You can feel it. Grace and truth feel intangible. They feel like big theological topics that are hard to get our minds around and our hands around. The other thing that I think we have working against us when we talk about grace and truth is that we live in a world where grace has been relegated to license. We live in a world where truth has become relative to each individual. Ask 50 people why Christ came to this earth who claim to be Christians and you might get 30 different answers. Truth has become relative, and grace has become license. Grace in our culture means you let me do whatever I want and don't impose your moralistic thinking on me. That's grace in this culture. It's not biblical. Uh, Truth is relative. What What I think is true, what I believe to be true, that's true. Even if you believe something to be totally the opposite, that's true for you. Well, the hard part then is if that's, all true, then somebody just made a truth statement, and what do you do with that? Like there has to be objective truth, right? But it's hard for us to get our minds wrapped around that. The world that we live in teaches us that grace means ignoring and permitting sin, and that truth depends on what each individual believes based upon the society or the family they live in or grew up in. And here's the outcome. The outcome of of, uh, of watered-down grace and watered-down truth, the outcome of that is what I like to call uh, moral and ethical confusion. Watch your news feeds. Moral and ethical confusion. Our political system is so corrupt with moral and ethical confusion right now, it's not even funny. We're calling dudes in our political system Christians when we know darn well they're not by the way they live their lives, and by the way they live out their politics, right? We do this in the church, too. It's all throughout our world. It's permeate our society, moral and ethical confusion. What's right? What's wrong? How do I actually give grace and mercy in this moment, right? Do we just ignore sin? Do we just water it down? Do we just give license? Do we just say, well, you know, he's a sinner? What do we do? Those are, I think those are valid questions in our, in our world, in the times that we live in right now. If grace is license, and if truth is relative, 
then the result is a cocktail of moral and ethical confusion. Into that confusion, John presents us with Jesus. Jesus, who is God, right? God in the flesh, full of grace and truth, through whom grace and truth is experienced. He's the embodiment of grace and truth. He's the face of grace and truth. Jesus is the tangible experience of grace and truth. If it doesn't look like Jesus, doesn't sound like Jesus, doesn't act like Jesus, then guess what? It's not from Jesus. It's something that's from the darkness that's being called light. John says it this way, verses 14, 16 through 17. And the world became flesh and dwelt among us, We have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Quick note on that last sentence. Oftentimes when people hear this last piece, it's like, oh, oh, the law was given through Moses and grace and truth was given to Jesus and they oppose each other. No, no, that's, that's not the way we should read that. Old Testament law, Good, not bad. Problem is, we read it as though it's bad. You know what the one word that all of the law of the Old Testament hangs on? What's that one word, somebody? Love, right? All of the law in the Old Testament were were just practical ways that you and I could love God and love our neighbor. Not bad laws. There were some ceremonial laws that probably don't point to us whatsoever, But by and large, the law in the Old Testament given by Moses was to help God's people live out what love tangibly looks like. Jesus is the embodiment of that, and upon him all of the law and the prophets hang, meaning in him we have the complete fulfillment or representation of God's law in one person, perfection in Christ. That's what we have. He lived the law perfectly. He loved perfectly to the extent that he gave himself sacrificially so that you and I who lived as his enemies prior to that could become his children. That's a picture of grace and truth. We can experience grace and truth in the midst of a morally and ethically confused world. We can because Jesus is the fullness of grace and truth. Through Christ we receive more and more and more grace, grace upon grace upon grace. Thought of my daughter Grace while writing uh, this message. My daughter Grace, we didn't know at the time, um, we named her Grace Ann. Grace means what? Grace. (laughs) Unmerited favor, okay, somebody's gonna get that. Unmerited favor. Um, Her middle name is Ann, you know what that means? Grace. Grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. <laughs> upon grace upon grace. So when we call her Grace, we're just calling her by her first and her middle name. Now, she is not the representation of, uh, of, 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 she's not Christ, right? That's what I'm trying to say. Um, but in some regard, we named her Grace because uh, she was a representation of God's grace to my wife and I and our family. My wife and I come from a very broken past. Broken marriages, sin, horrific sin. And God restored our lives, and we experienced grace and truth in the presence of Christ through his word, through the message of the gospel, and God restored our lives. And in that season, Grace was born, so we named her Grace Ann, not even knowing that her middle name Ann meant grace as well. I get to live looking at my daughter and going, wow, 
Christ in that season saved us, changed us, transformed us. Grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. Here's the thing. Sometimes I think that God's grace might run out for me. Have you ever lived that way? Thinking that maybe your next sin is going to disqualify you from the game, right? I just tell you that God's grace is like that one song. It's like an ocean. It's like an ocean. There's, God's grace is never ending because it flows out of a never ending being. God's grace is complete for you and I. Why? Because it flows out of a complete being. You and I, as incomplete beings, what do we need the most? The life-giving, life-sustaining presence of Christ. We need to be rooted in his grace and his truth. That's what you and I need the most. And what you and I do not need What you and I do not need is cheap grace that gives us license to sin, right? What you and I do not need is watered-down truth. There's enough of that in this world. There's enough preachers out there preaching messages of watered-down truth today. We don't need that. Look where that's got in our society today. When I struggle with moral and ethical confusion, what I need the most is Christ. When I'm struggling with my sin, I need the presence of Christ to come and set me free from that. What I don't need is someone to excuse my sin or ignore my sin or water down the truth or let me hide out in my fig leaves like Adam and Eve. I don't need that. I don't need that kind of deception. What I need in those moments is to experience the life-giving, life-sustaining presence of Christ because in Christ, I get to experience true grace. Where? Where do you experience true grace? Let me tell you, at the foot of the cross, my friends, at the foot of the cross where Christ's body was broken and his blood was shed for you when you lived as his enemy, according to Ephesians Long before the foundations of the world were ever set into motion, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit made a plan to save you if you're following him and if you're hearing him today. He made a plan to save you. The Father made a plan to send his son to die on a cross. The Father made a plan to send his spirit to fill you and I and to help us walk and to live in holiness. He did all this long before you and I ever had the opportunity to sin. And yet, because God knows everything, he knew you were going to live the life you've lived. He knew the next thought you're going to have. It wasn't like your sin somehow caught him off guard. It also doesn't mean that that gives you license to continue to sin. See, the truth of God's grace is that Jesus knew everything about you, and yet he loved you enough to give himself for you. That's what he did. Grace and truth. The foot of the cross and the shadow of the empty tomb. Why? The foot of the cross is where he gave his life for you even though he knew your sinful nature. But, but, the shadow of of the empty tomb, that's where he rose victorious over Satan, sin, and the grave. Death no longer has a hold on you. Sin no longer controls you. Hell is not your destination. Heaven is the place you're destined for. In the presence of Christ. If that doesn't jack you up, 
should, should ask, like, where's my heart right now? I, I get so stoked when I think about the power of Christ in the empty tomb. He called Lazarus back from the dead. And when he came and he spoke to me and saved me, he called my dead heart back to life. He took my heart of stone, he tossed it. He gave me an actual beating heart and he brought it back to life. It's like a car broken down on the side of the road. He breathed life into me. And if you're here and you're a Christian, that's what he did for you. When he breathed life into you and gave you his spirit, it's the doctrine of regeneration. He made you come alive. He made you a brand new creation, a new creation in Christ Jesus. All the old has passed away, the new has come. Are you new? Have you been renewed? There's places of your life that haven't been renewed. Walked in here feeling alone. Walked in here feeling unimportant finding sinful ways to pursue fulfilling those desires and those feelings. Maybe that's the way you walked in here this morning. The encouragement is this. You can experience the tangible presence of grace and truth in the person of Christ at the foot of the cross and in the open door of the tomb, the empty tomb. Here's my recommendation to you. Go there, stay there, don't leave there until you're satisfied. Go there. Stay there. Don't leave there until you're satisfied. What does it feel like to be satisfied? It feels simply like I'm not alone. I'm vastly important. In the presence of truth and grace, I have just spent time with him. And the hallways of my soul are no longer churning. That's what it feels like. Might take you moments. Might take you hours. Might take you days. Get the word of God out and go sit and let the face of grace in Christ, his life-giving, life-sustaining presence come and be everything for you. This is why he came in this season. That's how you apply this message to your heart when you walk out of here. It's a simple application, why? Because the beginning of our passage says this, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. The word became flesh dwelt among us, the word, Jesus, spoken by God the Father eons ago, empowered by the Spirit of God, his breath. Everything leaps into creation. God wants to speak to you from his word. He wants to reassure you and remind you that you are not alone. He wants to come and show you how important you are because of Christ's importance. He wants to come and remind you of the work that was done at the cross. He wants to come and set your soul at ease in the shadow of the empty tomb. He wants to come and let you experience tangible grace, tangible truth. That's what God's word is meant for. This means that every word of God's word is literally meant to get us into the presence of Christ. In the presence of Christ, you and I can be healed. We can be comforted. We can be secured. We can be corrected, we can be empowered. We can be empowered to live in the presence of grace and truth. Jesus is a life-giving, life-sustaining presence that you and I need, amen? Practically speaking, in case you need a little bit more practical, practical speaking, Sunday gatherings, great place for that, right? Small groups throughout the week, we call them gospel communities here. 
getting consistent with those things and being there. Not just a Bible study where you just study God's word. The foundation of small groups and gospel community is God's word and the presence of Christ. It's also important for you and I to be around the table with one another, sharing life together, leaning on one another, and not just a fellowship group where we talk about football either. Like if, if, if we wanna come together and talk about football, you can do that. But if you're gonna replace getting together as a community and studying God's word with getting together as com- in community and talking about football, man, what kind of idolatry is that for us, Right? Like we should be far more consistent about getting together in community, studying God's word and letting God's word bring the tangible presence of the grace and the truth of Christ to our lives. This is what dads and moms are supposed to do with their kids, right? I mean, isn't this part of the reason that we live in such a moral and ethical confused community is because we failed to come and meet Christ in the scriptures? The powerful word of God became flesh and dwelt among us. Don't let your Bible sit on a shelf and cake up dust. Pick it up and read it, right? Gospel community, small groups, Sunday mornings, sitting down as a family, Bible reading plans. Those are good, man. Uh, Not like legalistic, man, I gotta read my passage today. No, no, I get the privilege to come into the presence of God through his open word. We live in America. We We don't live in a third world country. If we did, I think that we would see this as more of a priceless privilege than we currently do. Seriously, on behalf of people who don't get to do what you and I do, they gotta hide their Bibles. I think we ought to pick up ours more than twice a week. Get our heads into them. Let our thoughts be transformed. Let our hearts be renewed. Let our lives be transformed, right? So those are just some of the tangible ways I think we can apply this word. The final thing that I want to say is this. Really a big summary of everything I've already said, because that's what preachers are supposed to do. They're supposed to tell you what they want to tell you. They're supposed to tell you what they plan to tell you. And then they're supposed to end by telling you what they already told you, okay? So we're going to end that way. And during this Christmas season, when you feel alone, when you feel unimportant, when you are struggling to experience the grace and the truth that your heart needs, please remember, please remember that you heard it here from this passage of scripture, and it's true. You are not alone. You are not unimportant. And you can experience grace and truth in the presence of Christ, who is the life-giving, life-sustaining presence that we all need. Merry Christmas, guys. I love you. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much. Thank you so much for this word. Thank you so much for sending your son during this season. Father, as we close our time together, Lord, I pray that your your presence would just be powerful, present among us. Father, I pray that you, you would take any who walked in here feeling alone and that you would help them to know that they are not alone and that the God of the universe came in the flesh and is still speaking through the power of your word and the presence of the spirit. If anybody walking here feeling unimportant, Father, I pray that they would see you as being more important than anything else in this world and that their importance would be rooted and grounded in you. And Father, I pray if anybody walked in here just wondering like, what's right, what's wrong? I don't know if I understand grace, truth. Father, I pray that there would just be a tiny sliver of that that made sense and that your name would have been magnified and exalted in our midst and that you would become famous in our community, in our hearts. Father, I pray this Christmas season that we would not just see this season as 
lights on houses, trees and living rooms, presence under those trees, lots of food to eat, but that we would see this season as being all about you and your son, your sacrifice, your gift to us. Father, I pray that you would do that for us. In Jesus' name, and everybody said. You're listening to an audio message from The Well, a gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com.